Well, hey, good morning. How's everybody? Are you doing good? It's good to see you again. As Bo said, I have been in hiding. I mean, no, I've just been on a little bit of a vacation for the last couple weeks. And I'm so excited to be back with you. I missed you, my wife, my family. We all missed you guys a lot. There was a lot of excitement in the Lesler home last night. And I uh, want to just share with you something that came to me on my break. Um, a mentor of mine sent me a verse, Romans 15, 13. And as he did, it was impressed upon my heart that this was something not just for me, I'll take it, right? But it was for my family and it was for my church and it was for my community. And I wanna read it over you and share something with you about it. It's from Paul in Romans 15, verse 13. He says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy, peace, trust, that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I was thinking about this verse, I was thinking about my kids who go to the refrigerator dispenser to fill up their water bottles. And for some reason, it doesn't fail every time there is a puddle of water everywhere because their cup has overflowed. Does anybody know my pain and my struggle, right? I typically find it because I step in it and there is nothing worse than wet socks. Is anyone with me? <laughs> but, but I was thinking about this verse in light of this travesty that happens in my kitchen on a regular basis. And when the water overflows, it gets into everything. It gets into the cracks of the floor. It gets underneath the refrigerator. It gets everywhere. And it's a nuisance and it's a pain. But what if that overflow wasn't something that was a pain, but it was hope? What if that overflow was in your life and in this community and yourself was an overflow of hope to every single person you interacted with, to every place that you went, every time you drove down the dreaded 217, your life overflowed with hope? What if? And so it became my prayer and I started to see a city in desperate need of hope. We will gather today, and there will be maybe 1,500 people in both of the services and people online and all of those things. What if every single one of you, wherever you went and whatever you did, your life was a message of overflowing with hope? Now hear me on this. It's important to understand, as it was important for me to understand, that my hope isn't in my circumstances. My hope isn't in my resume. My hope isn't in my opportunities or even my preferred future. My hope is in Jesus alone. That can't be shaken, it can't be taken away, and it is good news, am I right? Yeah. Church, we can be a people who overflow with hope, and that is my prayer for you, and that has been my prayer for you. As I was thinking about that, I was listening to a podcast interview with a man by the name of Dr. Lee Warren. Some of you may be familiar with his work. I was just introduced to him. He is a brain surgeon, a neuroscientist, and most importantly, he is a follower of Jesus. He works with people who are experiencing traumatic events. He was an emergency brain surgeon in Iraq during the war. He uh, did something like over 200 emergency brain surgeries there. He experienced and saw a lot of trauma, 
But on top of that, he came home after being discharged from the army, after he finished his time, and his 19-year-old son was killed tragically in an accident. So he isn't just someone who studied these topics and how it works in the brain in a book, but he is someone who had a deeply personal connection with them. And he was asked, how do you even begin to heal after the loss of a child? Now, I personally haven't lost a child. I have come close. I did have to resuscitate mine back to life once. And for those few moments that I held my lifeless child in my arms, I had never experienced such pain. And if this is your story, I am so sorry. May his answer to this question bring you just a little bit of peace. But if you can't relate to his loss, you can relate to loss in general. You all know what it feels like. This is what he says. The answer to the question comes down to this. If you have faith before these big things happen, hopefully you will have a plan in place for what happens when they do. When the worst things happen, if your life is built on something solid underneath it, like everyone, you will crash for a while, you will have doubt and be angry and experience all of the same human emotions that anyone else would, but that floor of faith gives you a place to land and you don't fall below that. Amen. For us, we have had a devastating event and we did not know what each day would bring, but every day God would show up in some kind of way in the middle of the storm of it all. Sometimes it would be little ways. Remember, God is near to the brokenhearted. Sometimes it would be a well-timed text from a friend that would give us just a glimmer of hope. Little moments, even in the worst times, after it happened, where we could see the light. And here's the crux of what he said that really got my attention. You have got to have some things in your life that you know are true. Even when trauma makes you feel like nothing you thought was true is, this is what happens in your brain. All of the chemicals are going off to tell you, this isn't true, this isn't true. For us, we needed to hold on to what we know. For us, it is the resurrection. We know we will see our son again. And if that's true, then all of the other promises of God have to be true too. And one by one, you can put each brick of our faith foundation back together, and as you do, you will experience hope. Hope. There it is. So we're continuing our series today on the miracles of Jesus. We're looking at, in particular, the miracle of how he works through nature. Now, there's a lot of different miracles where Jesus works through nature, but today I wanna to focus in on one in, partic in particular. It's a story of when Jesus both walks on the water towards his disciples who are stuck in the middle of a storm and then calms the storm. Jesus wasn't random. He isn't haphazard about his miracles. Um, all of his miracles are like onions, Shrek, right? As you peel apart the surface, there is a deeper meaning still. Like on one level, he is revealing his power, who he is, and on a deeper level, he is revealing the character of God himself. We believe that Jesus is God incarnate. If you wanna know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. This series is also subtitled Then and Now, and the reason why is because the same way Jesus shows up 
In a miraculous way, in the people in this story, we believe that he shows up in our lives today. So here is the truth that Dr. Warren spoke of. May it bring you hope. Now, we're gonna start by laying a little foundation. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter one, verse one. You do not have to go very far. First book, first chapter, just after your table of contents. <laughs> and you'll see hopefully why, when I'm done, in Genesis one, why we started here. Genesis one, verse one says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This idea of heavens is sky above us. This idea of earth is the land below us. What the author of the book of Genesis is trying to communicate to us is in a way summarizing that what God is about to do is to fashion or shape the entire universe. It is everything above us and everything below us. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. This is an amazing Hebrew phrase, tohu wabohu. It literally rhymes on purpose. It's to draw your attention to this idea that the world is unordered and it's uninhabited. So here God is saying he is about to create. From an unordered and uninhabited creation, he is about to move. There is chaos, lack of order, lack of purpose, lack of beauty, lack of meaning. God is about to speak and change everything. What's the point? The very first thing that the Bible teaches us about God is that he enters into the chaos and he changes the reality of our circumstances. Verse two continues, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Some translations call that line the deep, the deep abyss, there'll be more on that in just a minute. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you can't see it, God is right there, present in the darkness, ready to bring order to chaos. Remember the chaotic waters, they're supposed to show this picture that there was no order, there were no inhabitants, and suddenly God moves into the space, and let me say it one more time, purpose, beauty, order, and meaning to chaos. Let's think about that for just a minute. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, the deep cry in all of our hearts, what? To have a purpose, to enjoy the beauty of creation, to know that life is not just random and meaningless, to know that you have the potential within you to live a life you were created to live. If you took a moment and looked deep inside of you, you would recognize that all of those longings were put there by God. Deep inside of you, you long for these things. It's the pursuit of every person but the truth of the matter is, is because of sin, we are in pursuit of these things for all of the wrong reasons. We look for love in all the wrong places, am I right? And maybe that is your story. You're looking for purpose and order and beauty and meaning in all the wrong people and all the wrong places. Maybe it's in a job, an opportunity, a relationship, stuff, social status, cultural standards of beauty, success, intoxicants, cults, religions politics, sports, hobbies, looking for meaning in all the wrong places. But from the very first verses in the Bible, we are taught that we cannot find these things 
apart from anyone else but God. Only he can take the chaos of your life, the chaos of this world, and make it teeming with life and possibility. So this is also an invitation to discover who God has created you to be. You will never be whole until you know Jesus. This is the invitation of the Bible. As the psalmist says, please taste and see that the Lord is good. Just give it a little taste. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So the first picture we have is the God who tames the chaotic waters and brings purpose, order, beauty, meaning. Only God could do something like this. Now the abyss. In the book of Revelation, we get a picture of the new or redeemed creation. And we are told that there will be no more seas. Well, that seems odd. What's wrong with bodies of water, right? Like, why do, why, why, why do we not get bodies of water in the new creation? Well, nothing. There's nothing wrong with bodies of water. This is all deeply symbolic. The seas, or the dark abyss, as Genesis says, Sheol, the realm of the dead, there's all sorts of names that were used for it, hell. But sea is a junk drawer term for it. This was thought of as the epicenter of earthly rebellion, chaos, and danger. It is from the sea that both Revelation and the prophet Daniel's beast emerge and wreak havoc on God's creation. The chaotic waters are thought to have been the source, the gateway to real spiritual evil. So not only does God order the chaos, he defeats the powers of chaos that lurk within it. They are the powers of the seas that will be dealt with one day, once and for all. You ever wonder why when Jesus casts the demon out of the guy and they go into the pigs, they rush off the cliff and they go into where? The sea? Because they're going home. If you didn't know, now you know. What are the powers? They are a dark cosmic force that manifests through social realities. They warp God's intentions for the world. They are spiritual beings that lurk in the shadows, working to bring chaos and ruin to the world. So for review, only God can tame the chaotic waters and bring purpose, order, beauty, meaning. And two, the deep abyss was thought of as the stronghold of those very chaos monsters, hell itself, but God was over them too. Okay, with all of that, great, check, we'll come back to it. John 6 in your Bibles. John 6, we are going to now read about a nature miracle of Jesus. John 6, verse 16 is where we're going to pick up the story. If you've been around the church for a while, you've sang the song in Sunday school, you've seen it on a felt board, Jesus walks on the water. John 6, verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. (laughs) But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat boat reached the shore where they were heading. Jesus' disciples were on the sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is also often called a lake. And some of Jesus' disciples, they were fishermen. So it's safe to say that they knew how to navigate a boat, 
hopefully. And they knew how to navigate the Sea of Galilee where they made their living every day. But it's most likely that they did not venture out to the deep parts of the sea. Because it's likely that A, they didn't know how to swim, and B, remember everything I just told you, the sea is wild, it is chaotic, it is dangerous. Only God has the power to tame it. So best to stay in the shallows and best to stay away from the space and places that things could get wild. Now it's common at the Sea of Galilee for storms to appear out of nowhere. It's the topography of the area, the mountain ranges, where the sea is. A front can roll in right over the mountains and boom, you can find yourself in a really, really bad situation really, really fast. So the disciples find themselves stuck in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm, in a small boat. This is the definition of a dangerous situation. But on top of all of that, in the natural, they have a deep conviction that what is happening to them goes beyond the physical elements. There is something spiritual happening all at the same time. They have found themselves in a vulnerable place in the natural and the supernatural. Darkness is closing in all around them. And what happens? Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm. In both Matthew and Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus was able to see his disciples long before they were able to see him. In fact, Mark's gospel says this in Mark 6, verse 47. Later that night, this is the same story, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. (laughs) But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all swam to him and were terrified. I love that little detail. Jesus was about to pass by them. (laughs) I honestly think Jesus would have been really fun to hang out with because I think he would have had a great sense of humor. Like, could you imagine he's there? He's like, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna walk right past them. They're gonna be like, whoa, 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 there's a ghost. And he's like, he knows this whole thing because he has saw them in their plight from a distance. He knows they're journeying through a storm. Now, it's not inappropriate to read this story into the storms of your own life, into the difficult seasons that you are facing. As we draw sort of observations and perhaps applications even from this story, substitute the storm in this story for the storms that you are facing. And like I said earlier, this is a then and now thing. As Jesus showed up to them in their storm, may he show up to you in yours. Jesus shows up in their storm, right? And here, get this, because he saw it before they even knew he was there, Jesus saw the disciples in their need long before the disciples knew he was even there. May that be a word of encouragement for you in your storm, that Jesus sees you and knows your need long before you even know you're in a storm. And what does he do? He moves towards you. Obviously, the connection to our current life, our circumstances, is rather obvious, but I take great comfort in this, that in the middle of the storm of my current circumstances, of your current circumstances, I know that Jesus sees me, he sees us, 
and he knew our need long before we were even aware of it. See, Jesus is not unaware of what we are facing. And by the way, he is not surprised by it either. But at the same time, he is not unaffected. He is not sitting around wondering, how are they gonna handle their storms? Jesus moves towards his disciples in their storm. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Jesus not only sees the storm his people are facing, but he actually moves into it. And and when he does, he leaves the comfort of the dry shore and he gets into the wet, the danger, and the mess of the storm to help them. I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus and I was like, ooh, they're in trouble, I don't know if my first inclination would be to go right into the middle of the chaos. It's a good thing he is God and I am not, right? And get this, Jesus' disciples didn't recognize Jesus when he arrived. Jesus shows up in the storm and what, is, what do they think? He's a ghost. <laughs> because why? Because people don't walk on water if you didn't know. Could you imagine seeing someone walk on water? Right, there's a storm. The visibility is already really difficult. The rise and the fall of the waves. And this thing keeps coming closer and closer to you. It's as if like the situation couldn't get any worse. And at first, the help that is moving towards them looks like something that they are deeply afraid of and hoping goes away. Like Jesus' disciples, it can be easy for us not to recognize Jesus when he steps into our circumstances because he often shows up in ways that we least expect him to. Now the storm, it caused Jesus' disciples to lose their equilibrium. Remember, these are kind of expert wayfinders, like they know how to navigate a boat. But something has happened to them that has rendered their expertise useless. It's as if their whole resume is now out the window and their boat has become a life raft. They've lost their equilibrium. They've lost their ability to know which way is north, south, east, or west. They are rowing, but they are not going anywhere. In the stormy seasons of life, it's easy to lose our equilibrium as well. Some things that have brought us self-worth, value, comfort, those things get taken away. And what's left? What is the result? Well, for the disciples, the storm gave them clarity on what really mattered in life. Provided an opportunity to, all of those things have now set aside, and what do they have? They have each other, their lives, and Jesus. All of a sudden, the storm provided a moment for them to have clarity on the things that matter most. It's an amazing story. And obviously, these applications to our life, hopefully we can connect the dots. Jesus shows up in the storm, in your storms and in mine. Now, I promise you that the disciples never looked at the sea the same way. <laughs> Could you imagine? Most of Jesus's ministry happened in and around the same place. And so day after day, both as they were following Jesus up until his death and then after in the resurrection and as the birth of the church, the Sea of Galilee would be there, this beautiful and serene place 
also this place of deep pain and chaos of their life, they would remember that Jesus stepped in like only the creator God could. What once to them represented fear would be turned upside down because the same God who tamed the chaos of creation has arrived in the person of Jesus and he tames their chaos too. Now get this, the sea was once thought to be a natural wall because you had the Gentile region over there and the Jewish region over here. And it was this idea that this sea was almost like a God-given part of nature to separate clean from unclean. Walls are to keep people away. Jesus uses it as a bridge. And go around it. He doesn't reinforce the message, keep them over there and us over here. He walks on top of it. Just another way that he takes the season of chaos and storm in their life and he turns it upside down. What would they think now when they saw the sea? The thing that once represented death now is life. It's been redeemed. All the powers of chaos and destruction in the world did everything they could to do their absolute worst to Jesus. They colluded together to destroy him. And at the moment they thought they had achieved their greatest victory, they had actually experienced their ultimate defeat. In the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If death is the greatest weapon of the power of darkness, how do you overcome it? By life. Not even death could hold Jesus down. On the third day, he proved his power over death. Paul rejoices in this truth, and he says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you couldn't die. He defeated death so like him, you could experience eternal life so that your feet could stand firm so that nothing could move you even when the chaos of this world and the chaotic powers of hell come against you. You are with Jesus, and the storms are calm. Maybe you made that ultimate decision to give your life to Jesus, and maybe you haven't. Maybe you are at the space of a decision to cry out to him like the disciples in the boat, save me. And here's the deal. If you seek him today, if you choose to, you will be found. You can come home and experience eternal life. You just have to ask. Maybe you've made that decision already, but the storms of your life, they're moving and you need to hear the words, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. Maybe it's a response to something in the story that we already talked about. 
You've lost your equilibrium. You forgot what is most important. Your eyes are off of Jesus. You don't recognize him as he's moving towards you in your storm. Today, we wanna take time and create space to do something that the Bible teaches us, which is to reflect. There's a message and it's etched in nature that God is mindful of you. To be mindful is to call to one's mind, to consider, to think about. Why would the creator of all of the universe enter into the chaos and the storm? Why would he care? Why would he love us so much, sacrifice himself for us? Who are we that he would care so much for us? We don't have a sea to look at in the great city of Beaverton every day that has been redeemed and flipped upside down and changed to remind us of who God is. But as I was thinking about a way to respond to this, there is something that no matter where you are in the world, you can see, and that's the stars. And in a minute, Joe is gonna read Psalm 8. It's this beautiful Psalm about when I look up into the heavens and I see them, I am reminded that God is this insanely massive, powerful, beautiful God who loves me and who am I that he would love me so much. So we wanna create a little space for you to look up at real stars, but on a screen. But the point is that you would be able to take this from this space and do this every day, to recalibrate yourself around who God is by looking at nature and remembering that Jesus is the one who brings calm to your storms. So let's take a moment to worship together and to reflect, Spirit of the living God, speak. Your people are listening.
few ways you can respond today. Um, as Pastor Bo was sharing about the after-school program, we have a team at the Info Center, Fabi and Hannah, who would love to connect with you. Your labor is not in vain. No matter what storm you are going through, enter in with other people. There's gonna be some people up here, our elders who would love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, you can come up here and pray. We have communion elements available on both sides. And last, if you would like, I would love to pray a blessing over you. Go ahead and open your hands if you would like to receive that. And my blessing is short and sweet. May you be a people who run to Jesus in the middle of your storms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.